and freezing, right? Uh, Dana told me, I didn't see it, but she told me about a uh, marquee in front of a church this week. It was somewhere in the Midwest. It said, whoever's praying for snow, please stop. <laughs> well, let's open our uh, time together in uh, God's Word uh, by asking him to uh, send a spirit to teach us this day. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, we do praise you. Uh, for the beauties of your creation as we see the sun start to peek over the building and shine across the street. Um, we, even though we uh, laugh and complain about the difficulties that, that winter brings, uh, even in this bleak season of the year, uh, you fill it with beauty. We thank you for the beauty of your word. And even in some of these harsh words, of condemnation that you give to these churches in Asia Minor and through them uh, the ways you condemn our church. Uh, we thank you even in the midst of those condemnation that you give hope, that you extend your grace, that you show that your love for your church um, isn't based on our success rate, but that you continue to pursue us, to push us to discipline us when we go astray. Um, we thank you for the love that will not let us go. We ask now that as we study uh, the revelation to John, that you would give us insight into your word and that you would especially help us to apply it to the life of our church here and how we should be a witness to Jesus Christ, to the world and culture around us. Uh, send your spirit to teach us now, we ask. In Christ's name, amen. All right, uh, so last week um, we looked at three churches that had, all had praiseworthy aspects to them, but uh, who compromised their witness by tolerating various forms of doctrinal or cultural infidelity. Um, we talked about you know, the ways that political expediency, economic necessity, and the desire for social acceptance uh, provided powerful rationales for people to diminish their witness. Pash powerful rationales for making compromises to avoid conflict and persecution. And I asked you then, last week, to think about ways that we in our church damage our witness to Christ by compromising with our surrounding culture, whether that be um, uh, forms of political compromise, forms of economic compromise in terms of uh, you know, dimming our Christian testimony in order to maintain employment, um, and socially, how we so often uh, seek to avoid forms of social ostracism that might result if we proclaim uh, Christ. So today we finish the examination of, of these seven letters or Christ's prophetic letters to the seven churches. And today we close with two very different churches. Um, one receives no word of condemnation, and the other receives no word of commendation. Um, so uh, two churches on the opposite ends of the spectrum. So um, we'll pick up our reading in uh, Revelation chapter 3, and I'll read starting in verse 7 uh, to the end of the chapter. 
And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, The words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I've set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I'm coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And to the church, to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hold neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So, um, uh, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago when we looked at um, the church in Smyrna that they were also the other church in this list of seven that received no word of condemnation. But as we looked at that church, just to, to sort of do a recap, we saw that, um, that Jesus... Uh, you know, um, said, I know your sufferings, I um, praise you for how you bear witness in the midst of tribulation, more is coming. You know, I, thank you for your faithfulness, uh, it's about to get worse. Here we have Philadelphia, uh, thank you for your faithfulness, there's an open door for you. So why does the faithful church of Smyrna suffer tribulation while the faithful church of Philadelphia gets a pass. Okay? Yeah, yeah. So God, you know. But well, let's think about it. You know, God's not acting irrationally. God's got a plan. So what, why would he allow 
one church to suffer, one faithful church to suffer persecution, and another faithful church to get a pass from tribulation. So that helps explain why Smyrna uh, is suffering persecution. So why does Philadelphia also praise for their faithful witness while they get a pass? James. That's, you've hit the question, what's the open door? Um, and you know, open door seems to be u being used in a couple of different ways here. Um, I, you, know, you have this Christ as the one who opens and shuts the door. Um, and you know, is it the opening the door to eternal life? Or is it an open door of uh, some kind of opportunity for them? Um, so is it a consistent use of open door? Because um, I think in the first sense, you know, it's very clear. Um, it's actually quoting um, Isaiah, uh, uh, a prophecy of Isaiah that uh, of the son of David who opens and opens and shuts the door of salvation. Um, but then, you know, you have this idea that there's an open door before them that you know they have an opportunity. Uh, yeah, Andy. a small church, um, a church that seems to be, um, yeah, maybe at the bottom end of the socioeconomic spectrum, you know, a poorer church. Um, but I, I think, you know, it's, it's I'm, I'm glad James brought out, he's encouraging both of them to keep on in this endurance, to keep on in doing what they're doing. One, he, he's, he's going to use them to witness through conflict and through trials. And I think maybe the other one, he's using them to witness through this whatever open door that they have. By giving them a relative amount of peace, they are enabled to have a more, uh, a better opportunity, and especially a better opportunity, it seems, to certain Jews in their community. Thank you. 
destinations for both churches to go back to James. You know, he's both pointing both their eyes. They have different pathways there. One's pathway is going to be going through tribulation. The other pathway is through to sort of skirt this tribulation in certain ways in order to, you know, make use of this open door he set before them. Um, God has his purposes, and we can't just sort of judge, boy, that, that you know, because we might look and say, boy, that Smyrna church from all appearances, they were getting whacked, and now they're getting whacked worse. Boy. Yeah, God can't be put in a box this way. And that was one of the reasons I sort of wanted to ask that or raise that question because that is often the way that we sort of experience our world and culture. You know, why is all this happening to me when this, you know, Joe Schmo down the street who, you know, goes to church twice a year, you know, he's prospering, you know, where, you know, I've been faithfully enduring, you know, persevering, and, you know, I, I don't feel like I'm getting anywhere. Um, let's see. All right. Yeah, let's do a little more on Philadelphia, and then we'll go on to Laodicea. Um, so what's the, uh, so what's going on in this church? Um, we've got the synagogue of Satan uh, for a second time, um, who say they're Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I've loved you. What do you think is going on there? group of Jews that, um, that are, they're ethnically Jewish, but they have, they're not following God. And from this perspective, they're, they've, um, they're showing their opposition to God through their persecution of Christians. Um, okay? Jay. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. We're in this period. Jews are are more stridently um, differentiating themselves from Christians and saying they are not Jewish. They do not be believe in our God. They're heretics. Um, and in some cases, Roman emperor, go get them, you know, sick them. So it's sort of casting them out of the synagogue, uh, casting aspersions on their church in Philadelphia, um, you know, showing themselves not to be 
Jews by their actions. Um, and to go back to um, Andy, some people have, um, have said that they really are at this point uh, Jews only in ethnicity, that they might not even be practicing um, you know, traditional Jewish practices, that they've compromised with the culture around them, which is one of the reasons they're so well off in Philadelphia. So they're compromised, but, but I, I think um, one of the things that is being gotten at, he's actually this, this asking them to, um, I will make them come and bow down before your feet and they will learn that I have loved you. That's spoken to the Jews in the Old Testament about the Gentiles in multiple places. Um, we won't turn there, but um, some of these places are Isaiah 45, 14, 49, 23, 60, 14. You know, all these Old Testament texts predicting that uh, the Gentiles will come and worship God through Israel. And now we're sort of seeing the ironic fulfillment uh, or the reversal. So now it's the Gentile church, which is the true witness of God by virtue of its faith in Christ and Israel, uh, ethnic Israel, fulfills the role of Gentiles because of their unbelief. A revival in... Uh, yeah, so it's, they are going to, and I think that relates to the open door. I think they, he's giving them an opportunity to witness to these Jews who've cast them out. Um, that they, the synagogue of Satan is going to, to turn. Um, so I think there is pointing to that one of the reasons uh, the Philadelphians, um, you know, the different, uh, or the different path before them is because they have this open door um, to, to reach, uh, particularly, it seems, the Jews here. Okay, well, let's turn to... Um, uh, way to see it, just because there's so much in this one. Um, so what is wrong with this church? No, this is the only one of the seven that has, you know, all the other seven, uh, God finds something, even the bad ones, God finds something good to say. Um, I want to get to that. I mean, I, yes, I do think there's he's, there's still a reason he's addressing them. But we don't see any con commendation. So he, he doesn't praise them for anything like we've seen the other churches. You know, other churches, I know that you, you're, you've got a faithful witness, but you tolerate, you know, Nicolaitans in your midst. You know, we don't get any of that here. Um, but I want to come back. I, I think absolutely there's good here. Um, But, um, but, you know, he's, again, just sort of think corporately, he's praising these churches, or has been, for you're doing these things well, these things you're not. So what is this church? We don't see anything, or we're not told anything, that church is doing well. So what are they doing poorly? <laughs> All right, in what way? Uh, 
Okay. So how are you? Yeah. Bye. Yeah, this seems to be a, a church that uh, that doesn't. Um, uh, they're doing nothing because they they don't think they need anything. Um, they they need nothing. Maybe they don't care. Um, well, how do we understand this hot, cold, lukewarm business? Well, I would say, uh, is it a true church? I mean, I can't testify to you know the mixture of the people in it. Is it a true church? I would say yes because of what. To go back to what James says, they you know a letter is being addressed to them and there is hope being extended to them. Um, but um, you know, but as a church, um, they are being described as lukewarm. What does that look like? <laughs> yeah, um, and um, you know, this is one of those things that archaeology. So, I mean, people at the time would have known uh, a little about Laodicea. Um, we, you know, we know a little bit more now. So, uh, nearby is the um, Heropolis that was known for its hot springs. So everyone went to Heropolis to, you know, for the healing effects of the springs. And then uh, on the other side was um, Colossae, which was known for its cool, fresh water. Laodicea, known for its... <laughs> so he's using the actual sort of geography to sort of describe this church. You've got hot waters that are useful. You've got cold waters that are useful. This lukewarm stuff that makes you want to vomit, that's what your church is like. <laughs> nice, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, because um, sometimes you'll get people that sort of like, you know, uh, are interpretations of this passage. I, you know, I wish you were either hot or you know, cold in the sense that I'd almost rather you reject the gospel. I don't think that's what he's saying here. I'm, I, I think it's about the utility, because hot and cold in this are both good. You know, I, you know, I wish you were cold. I wish you were hot. wish you were useful, but you don't seem to be very useful. <laughs> you seem to be this black, lukewarm water. missing something. Um, and again, to sort of think, uh, you know, hot water has you know, properties of heat, cold water has properties of cold. This lukewarm, I mean, it's missing. It, you know, it's just, it's that. Um, so I, I think what our, uh, our explanation after this 
You say I'm rich, I've prospered, I need nothing, not realizing you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. So here you have prospering, people prospering economically who, you know, who are, don't think they need God in a sense anymore. That they've lost any sense of reliance upon the spirit. There seems to be a huge gap here between this church's self-perception and Christ's perception of them. They think they're fine and dandy. They might even be saying, look, we're doing well, we're prospering. You know, plenty of money in the church, don't have to worry about, you know, where we're going to meet, don't have to worry about persecuting because it's persecution because our neighbors all like us. Um, you know, they think we're doing great. God's perception of them is you're poor, you're naked, you're blind. He's saying, I, I wish you were. Right, right. I, I, I agree. It's not the primary thing, but I think there's something to that that we can gain from it. Yeah. Um, he, he definitely wishes that they they had, you know, that element of, of caring. I, and I think indifference might be, um, you know, we have indifferent Christians here. And again, this, you know, notice how different. Christ's perception of them is from themselves. You know, you say, I'm rich, I've prospered, I need nothing. You're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I mean, could you think of two different uh, 
you know, how could two different perceptions of someone, how, you know, how could they be more different? Um, and, you know, here's their need. Buy for me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich. Um, you know, white garments that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness. And we saw those white garments earlier uh, spoken of people, you know, the rewards for people who endure persecution and even martyrdom. You know, what, does, what do you value seems to be, um, you know, one of the questions he's asking. Do you value the things of this world or do you value the riches that Christ uh, extends to you? So then we have... Um, the first time I ever saw this verse was on, um, it, most of you know I was raised Catholic, so this was on a little card that I got um, in second grade. Um, you know, a little picture of Jesus standing outside a doorway, <laughs> knocking, you know, let me in. Um, but this goes back, to, I think this goes back to, um, to what James says. How do we see this, uh, this expression as a word of hope and comfort for these Laodiceans. To, to understand the knocking as, in the sense of not a new introduction, which is often the way we, we sort of think of it, you know, the person on the other side of the door hasn't met, he's actually quoting uh, the Song of Solomon, and it's the lover standing outside the betrothed's door knocking on the bedroom door. Um, so it's, it's already, a relationship's already been established. Uh, there's already a relationship between Christ and this church. And as you say, Christ is saying, I'm here. I haven't gone anywhere. I'm still, um, I, I'm still ready to, to give you, uh, you know, gold refined by fire. Um, what are you going to do, Laodiceans? Yeah, I think that was the way it was often explained to me, and I, I was really thinking about this in light of the chapters we've been doing in our Matthew Bible study. It's like, eh, Jesus wouldn't stand outside the door knocking, <laughs> he'd kick it down. <laughs> um, you know, this sort of meek and mild, uh, you know, that's side, yeah. Um, but I think it's, you know, the word intimacy. Again, you know, you know, we think of the Song of Solomon, you know, being, a, you know, really something about intimacy between God and his people. And, you know, that's, he's desiring intimacy in this relationship. George, you had your...
It's not this idea of Jesus is sitting outside the door <laughs> waiting for them. You know, he's, I think you're, you're absolutely right. Um, he's giving them warning. He's giving them, um, letting them know that discipline is coming. And the reproof isn't a sign that he hates them. It's a sign that he loves them and is continuing to pursue them through this sort of intimate uh, analogy, you know, using, again, the picture of Song of Solomon of, you know, he is trying to win um, this indifferent in church back. I think that's a, that's a key distinction that needs to be made in the various And that's the hope. I mean, as messed up as this church sounds, even to the extent, are these even Christians? You know, you know, what are, man, they sound, this place sounds horrible. It's, it, he hasn't given up on this church. He's addressing this church. Um, you know, and to sort of think back on, you know, so five of these seven are churches that, you know, spiritual condition is iffy, if not bad. Um, you know, only two are sort of, you know, held up as, so why does, you know, why does Christ even bother with churches? If five out of seven <laughs> are so bad, why, why keep dealing with these institutions? to see their need. Um, and this, the, I mean, this whole, the, the Laodicea one's great because there's all this irony involved. Um, you know, we now know there was a, uh, um, a hospital in Laodicea that specialized in eye care. Um, this place was known for its eye salve to help heal eyes. Um, it was known for its garment industry. So, you know, you've got people that, you know, again, think they're rich, think they're well-clothed, think they're healthy, and Christ's perception of it is very different. And he wants to, them to see, you know, to be awake to how Christ sees them. Um, but to go back to my the other question, why churches? Why keep... Yeah, 
Yeah, so God's faithful to sanctify us. Couldn't he do that just with you? <laughs> you know, minister directly to Pat, minister directly to Doug, minister directly. You know, why, why pursue? I mean, and I think this is something you know, because so many people in our culture are sort of despising what we would call the institutional church, saying, "Oh, these church churches, these traditional churches, you know, these this organization." is failing, we need to come up with something new and better. Okay, so there's this responsibility built within the church. Mary, you had your... others that we see the face of Christ. Again, sort of the, to use this constant New Testament uh, image that the church is Christ's body. Yeah, that this is the, the witness you know, these communities are the witness. You know, through all seven of these letters, we've had the witness of these churches addressed. And it's through this means that Christ is being shown to the world. You know, how many of you know anybody that was converted without interactions with another person? Anybody? You know, just complete, you know, Paul. <laughs> Voice from heaven. All right, that's one. <laughs> that's not the usual means. Um, the usual means is through people and through not just individuals, but bodies. You know, someone shares the gospel with me, they invite me to, you know, in my case, they invited me to an FCA meeting, then they invited me to a church. You know, it, it became... Uh, incorporating me into a community. Um, uh, my campus minister in college used to say, God did not call people to be Lone Ranger Christians. Um, the, the intention is that we participate in a community. I think also that's borne out by the way that we, we and put together that apart from, from the 
Yeah, and, he, and even the individual letters, it's addressing things that, yeah, within the body, you know, Philemon, to take Philemon and Onesimus, you know, it's not just sort of reconciling these two people, it's, you know, something, it's explaining something about what life in the body of Christ should be like. In this case, you know, you have a master who's a Christian, you have an escaped slave that's a Christian, you know, it's not just a personal reconciliation, but this is to be a powerful testimony of what the love of Christ is like in community. Yeah, sure. Individually, I think that's, I 
And so one, you said so much there um, that I want to come back to. But um, so one, uh, I think, and I was, you know, I asked this question. I've been wanting you to think about, you know, what would Christ say to our church here in Concord? And, you know, this isn't a, um, uh, uh, well, you know, this isn't saying a, a condemnation of us, but it's the difficulty I think our particular church faces is that we're scattered. Um, you know, that our presence is uh, limited and often through individual form. So imagine if, you know, your neighbors, because they can chalk up your niceness to, boy, that Jerry Maguire, he's a nice guy. But if all of a sudden, you know, they start seeing, you know, well, this person over here does similar things. You know, they start to sort of have a collective picture, then that gives a different face to it. What is it that makes these people... Uh, that way, and then you know, well, it's not us. You know, it's not that we're nice people. It's the Christ lives in us. You know, the light in us. Um, so to sort of think of ways, you know, that we can collectivize our presence and witness, and not just you know, make us you know, we gather here on Sunday. You know, we're scattered from. You know, I mean, I, I looked at the map the other day and just sort of started plotting. And I mean, it's like wow. You know, this is the smallest church in number that I've ever partic participated in that's the most geographically scattered. Um, you know, people are, you know, the links people drive to get here always astounds me. Um, so, you know, to think about how we can have a presence in Concord when we're living in, you know, two dozen towns scattered across the eastern half of the state of Massachusetts. The other thing, um, you know, you're talking about the, um, uh, you know, having this mistaken idea of what the church is. And I always think Augustine and the controversy with the Donatists. So the Donatists wanted to, to keep out anyone who ever backslid in the face of Roman persecution. So you have a pastor, you know, they come to them, give us your Bible, here you go, <laughs> you know, you know, make a pledge to the emperor, okay, where do I sign? You know, the Donatists wanted to keep those people out of the church. Augustine said, that's not what a church is. If they want to come back, you know, this is a hospital for sick. You know, these people showed themselves how needy they are. Now they see their infidelity. And it's Christ's love, it's in this place, is the only place that will receive Christ's love. We can't, you know police the boundaries of the church in, in this way. If we have someone who's a repentant sinner, you know, that's what this place is. Where else are they going to receive this kind of healing salve but the church? Uh, James actually had his, and then I'll come back to you more. Yeah, I think we have one question. Jerry, you mentioned about talking about the I'm willing to say, okay, 
Yeah, and to think in terms of this Laodicean church to show how needy I am. Um, you know, I like to present, you know, the facade of Steve Berry, you know, assistant professor of history, bow tie, looking sharp, you know. You know, you know that's the facade. You know, I like, you know, I don't want to open the door and let you into the dirty, messy recesses of my past, present, the horrible things I'll probably do in the future. You know, I want to, you know, but in a sense, which goes back to what we said, you know, last week in terms of, of, you know, witnessing involving some sort of conflict, opposition, I think witnessing also involves a degree of vulnerability. So not only are you inviting, uh, you know, or you know, making some kind of confrontation possible, you're making some kind of confrontation possible and you're letting your guard down, in a sense, to make yourself vulnerable in certain ways. Um, yeah, that's a scary thing. Mark, and then we'll come to you, George. Could you go back to the scripture that describes the body, 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 the it's not going to be through the strength of Steve Barry witness, because um, if that's what the, the witness that they need is just me, it's never going to, or through me, am I the only channel that's available? It might never happen. But the fact that they get buffeted <laughs> from lots of different sides and different places, and you know, who knows your failings better than your family? <laughs> you know, they, you know, prophet hasn't. There's a reason prophet has no honor in the hometown. Yeah, you know, I remember second grade. <laughs> you know, you did this to me. Um, you know, to sort of think of, but it's not. You know, and again, in, in terms of witness, that that's also the encouragement. It's not. Um, we, you know, we are to be faithful witnesses, but all the times we stumble and fall, you know, we're, it's, we're not alone in this race. You know, I'm going to fall flat in my witness to people. And I need to say, I fell flat. But the hope is somebody behind me keeps carrying the torch forward. Uh, I tend to be prisoners think of me. Um, you know, and just sort of think uh, other times where I've been a really good evangelist, it's because I've had that kind of attitude. Um, and that, you know, I, you know um, I have a firm sense of security in certain things that, you know, um, but yeah, to think about... You go in there and, you know, knowing a little bit of scripture, you know, more than a little bit of scripture. 
Maybe we can create some artificial circumstances with <laughs> bars. I can witness now because. <laughs> yeah. They are in prison. George. That's a great summary for all these letters because all of these letters, in a sense, are addressing how do you be church in this, you know, it's your town, but it's essentially a foreign culture. Um, you know, it is an alien culture. It is a culture in opposition to Christ. Um, you know, it is, has allied itself with Satan, uh, whether they acknowledge that or not. But... Um, you know, all these these letters, and we, we need to close because we've hit our time, um, uh, are addressing that sort of how do we as Christians witness in the midst of an alien culture? Um, how do we be in the world but not of the world? Um, and that's something, again, uh, we, we've talked about this the past couple of weeks, and as we uh, move into some of these visions that John's going to have subsequently, you know, what's the role of imagining, um, you know, the reality that exists for us, you know, the spiritual reality. It is true, but sometimes we have trouble seeing it. Um, uh, sometimes we have trouble believing it. It's as real as the guy in the office next to me. All right, well, let me close this in prayer. Almighty God, what hope you extend um, uh, through your scriptures that um, as we conclude uh, these letters to the seven churches, there are aspects that we see of our church and all of them, um, both positive and negative. Uh, but uh, the love that you bestow on these churches isn't conditioned upon their faithfulness to you, but it is your love for them. And even this Laodicean church in which you give no 
words of praise for their witness or their uh, doctrine or for their works. Even that church you are in relationship with, that you are speaking of your love, that you are willing to uh, discipline them in certain ways in order to uh, reinvigorate their witness, that you are a God um, who pursues his people. And we ask that you would pursue us through your scriptures, through one another, uh, through the worship that we will um, enter into collectively in the coming hour. Uh, help us, um, uh, equip us to be a faithful lampstand to, uh, to the place you've put us here in Concord and then uh, all the satellites of our dwellings might uh, we be a witness uh, to the world around us. Uh, we ask it through the name of Jesus Christ and by the power of your spirit. Amen.